Bibles to Matthew chapter 2. And um, while you're turning there, um, I, I would say, I mentioned this to uh, Sister Regina. Um, and, um, <clears throat> you know, when you use this adjective for a funeral, people look at you like you're kind of strange. But I'm just going to tell you, Brother Paul Miller's funeral was a great funeral. And the presence of the Lord was there. And um, he um, has fought his fight. And we have fought ours as well. Except for we're still fighting ours. And um, I just want you to grasp this. You ought to think about this is what are they going to say at my funeral? And um, I will say that we all have very much uh, great control about what will be said at our funerals because the way we live our lives is going to determine what is said at those funerals. But I also told Sister Regina this, that when you look back the last several funerals that we have had uh, in this church, Brother Napier, I guess, and then prior to that, maybe the Ramshers, and um, just at every one of those funerals where that, that person was a child of God, the presence of the Lord has been in that sanctuary. And... Um, I want you to constantly keep that question in your mind. What are they going to say at my funeral? And um, at the end of the day, we want to live for the Lord. N nothing, nothing else matters. Job promotions, personal accomplishments, how much money you may have, None of that's going to matter. It's only what you have done for the Lord Jesus Christ that's really going to make a great difference. Amen. Matthew chapter 2, I would like to start in verse 1. The Bible says there, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. 
And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child, and when ye have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. And um, it's Christmas. It's getting there. And um, I want to preach to you this morning about offer your gift to the Lord. Let's ask the Lord to touch our hearts here this morning. Lord, we are, again, thankful, God, for your presence. And I know, Lord, that in this sanctuary, Lord, in, in this house, that there are a variety, Lord, of needs that, Lord, you are able to meet. I pray, Lord, this morning, God, that every saint... Lord, even every heart, God, that may be distant from you, that you draw us in, God, with a challenge, and that we somehow, God, would, Lord, let our lives be gifts, Lord, that we offer to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. You may be seated. I um, have... Um, <clears throat> tried, I suppose, to get into uh, the Christmas mode, and I think that probably all of us, it would do us well if we could get into that mode of being involved and thinking about Christmas. A couple of weeks ago, I think it was during the week of Thanksgiving that I was driving through the streets of Dothan and uh, noticed that the lights had been put up and sort of a festive feeling that it's like, hey, it's it's Christmas and uh, I'm going to do better this year and not be in such a rush and such a hurry and I'm going to enjoy uh, Christmas. And then uh, you know how life is. The pace, the spirit, and the attitude of the age sometimes impedes our sense of worship uh, toward what this event really stands for. And it's not... Santa Claus, and it's not getting gifts and all that sort of thing. It is to honor the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. I um, I would just say here this morning that uh, we ought to be thankful for the birth of our Lord. Twenty years ago or so, 1999, 2000, there was a song that came out by a new song, and that song was called Christmas Shoes. They turned that song into a, a movie, and uh, I, I don't remember whether it was video or whether it was DVD. Now, don't be hunting it down while I'm preaching this morning. Uh, 
You can check it out this afternoon. Uh, but at our house, I don't know, video, DVD, whatever it was, uh, I think that Lauren and Angela were the ones, maybe even Sister Patterson may have purchased that uh, video for them, and, and that video got wore out uh, at our house. And uh, there was a time where that, that Lauren, five or six years old, got very... Uh, caught up in that story, and one day whenever she thought that uh, the boys were not around, she had a little gift, and and uh, she came, and she put it up under the Christmas tree, and, and the boys caught her while she was doing that. And it was a little presentation that she was making while she was doing uh, that where she thought she was by herself, and the boys just mercilessly uh, started piling on and laughing and making fun uh, of her for doing that. And they asked her what she was doing, and she said that she was offering a, a gift for Christmas shoes. If you don't know the story behind the song, it tells a story about a young man that goes in the hustle and bustle of, of Christmas time, and he's standing there at the counter, and Behind him, the song is told by narrator who uh, is observing all of this, and he confesses in the song that he's in a hurry, he's impatient, he really don't have time to be involved in this, but there's a little boy that's in front of him and puts a pair of red shoes up on the counter. And uh, the man gets the price and then tells the young boy how much it is. So the boy starts pulling out a few wadded up dollar bills and change and pours all of that up on the counter there. And, and the uh, man that's the owner of the store, it kind of goes back in time a little bit and, and he starts counting the money out. Well, he discovers that the young man doesn't have enough money. And so the boy starts trying to reason with the, the owner, and he says, but uh, sir, he said, my, my mother is very sick, and uh, she, this year, this will be her last Christmas, and we want to make sure that uh, she has these shoes whenever she sees Jesus. And uh, you can do whatever you want to do with that that song, et cetera, so forth. But the man is behind. He said he's immediately stopped in his hustle and bustle of traffic and hurry, and he makes up the difference and pays for this young child to be able to purchase these shoes for uh, his mother. It's a heartwarming story that... At times around Christmas that comes in to all of us, I hope, and, and maybe softens us up because I will say that if you're not careful, you can live in this world and you can get very hardened and there can be a shell that develops around us that if we're not careful, uh, that it really can cause us to be coarse and, and unmoved by the needs sometimes of, of other people. I started this message here this morning to kind of meander a bit about this matter of these wise men that they wanted to bring something to uh, the Lord that was going to be helpful and, and beneficial. 
And uh, the Magi is what some refer to them as. And, and these men would fit into the role of, of what was called astrologers. Now you might want to uh, think about that for a moment because these men in those days looked at the planets and the alignment of the stars and they sort of observed these sorts of things. And Scripture tells us that there was a star that led these men, these wise men, to uh, there in, in Bethlehem. And, and there's a huge contrast that you begin to see between the Magi and between Herod. You see in the wise men, they're very, they came from hundreds of, of miles away, Mesopotamia. Some uh, even say that it was Iraq that these people came from. And and uh, and so it was that they were well-motivated foreigners in their travels. And they get there and land there in Jerusalem, and they are there with Herod. And you look at the reaction that Herod has versus uh, what they have. Herod is immediately overcome uh, with jealousy. And he begins to determine that he's going to do everything that he can to try to destroy this Christ, this new king that will advance in time. It foreshadows the response of the Jews versus the Gentiles that as his ministry would unfold, that there would be people that would respond to him much as as Herod (coughs) responded to Jesus. And then there would be those, those seekers, those worshipers that as they began uh, to investigate and to see who Jesus was, that they began to realize that he literally was the hope of the world. If you notice there in verse 11, the Bible tells us that they, that they came into the house. Now, I know that, that uh, th- this is uh, something we ought to pay attention to whenever we look uh, at the Word of God. And it's this matter that a lot of times whenever uh, we look at Scripture, we let our society and our culture sort of, of give us a, uh, I guess you sense, a, a preconceived idea that we thought that the wise men, that they came there to the stable. But the scriptures tell us that that apparently that Joseph and Mary had already moved away from the stable and now that they had appeared in a place where that they were inside living in a house. And so it is there that the that is where the, the wise men found him there in Bethlehem, somewhere about five miles south of Jerusalem or so. And the Bible tells us that, that they offered gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh that they brought uh, to this. These were gifts that were worthy that you would present to a king. These were things that that uh, that they were highly valuable. When you look back at what the prophet Isaiah wrote, and I would like for us to turn back to Isaiah chapter 60 and verse 5. Now, we'll kind of uh, 
give you a tip off here. This Some of this is talking about the millennial reign of Christ whenever the Lord will rule literally on this earth for 1,000 years. But look there in Isaiah chapter 60 and look at verse 5. It says this, it says, Then shalt thou see and flow together. And thine heart shall fear and be enlarged, because the abundance of the sea shall be converted unto thee, and the forces of the Gentiles shall come unto thee. Skip down to verse 11, and look at what Isaiah says. He says, Therefore thy gates shall be opened continually, and they shall not be shut day nor night, that men may bring unto thee the forces of the Gentiles and that their kings may be brought. Turn over a page or so and look there in Isaiah 61 and look in verse 6. The Bible says there, but ye shall be named the priest of the Lord. Men shall call you the ministers of God and you shall eat the riches of the Gentiles and in their glory shall ye boast yourselves. And then turn over a few chapters to Isaiah chapter 66 and look with me to verse 20. The Bible says there, and they shall bring all your brethren for an offering unto the Lord out of all nations upon horses and in chariots and, and in litters and upon mules and upon swift beasts to my holy mountain Jerusalem, saith the Lord, as the children of Israel bring an offering in a clean vessel unto the house of the Lord. Now again, you have to realize that this is foreshadowing what the millennial reign of Christ looks like. But there will be, will be gifts that would be brought to him. And so it was <coughs> that the wise men there, that they uh, brought to him a gift. And, and the Bible tells us it was gold, which is representative of his deity there. And then it tells about the frankincense, which was uh, a matter of about the fragrance and, and the, the, the permeance of his life there. And then the myrrh that is standing for the sacrifice of his death. All of these have something to do with these magi, these wise men that whenever they brought their gifts to the Lord, they presented those gifts. But how does that connect up with us? Well, there's times where that, I thought about this, uh, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe this will help, maybe it won't, maybe, but this is what I do is uh, I listened to a, a man by the name of Michael Card, and if you've never been exposed to the music of Michael Card, Michael Card is sort of, I guess you'd say, a folk Christian singer, and uh, sort of reminiscent of whenever I was a kid, the Don Francisco songs. Uh, and Don Francisco sang that song, He's Alive, and then... Uh, he sang another song about the traveler and and uh, various other where that he would tell stories with his songs and Michael Carr does that very similarly. He's got a project that he's called the Life, 
And what he's done is he's written songs, probably 30 or 35 songs. And each of these songs, they go through the life of the Lord. And, and they're so interwoven with Scripture that whenever you listen to them, if you know anything about the Bible at all, you'll recognize the phrases that, that Michael Card uses whenever he begins to write this. And, and leading up to the Christmas season, I here a few weeks ago, I pulled out his... His, uh, his Christmas album of sorts and, and there's a song in there that's called Joseph's Song and it talks about what it would be like in, from Joseph's point of view that this child is going to be born in to the home there and, and just in preparation just for my own sake of worship and whatever I have listened to these songs and then I've read portions of scripture even in the Old Testament from Isaiah and from the Messianic Psalms of where that there is an approaching Savior that's coming and He's going to redeem us and He's going to save us from our sins and that is the purpose and the moment of worship. It also deals with our meditation matter. And there's times where that, that I feel like, and I'm Pentecostal to my core, but there are times where I feel like that things get lost in all of the emotion and all of the, the fluff and all of the, the feelings sometimes that we experience in an atmosphere that what if you were to come in and worship the Lord and hardly not even open your mouth? Some of you are very uncomfortable with that, because you feel like that worship is only the clapping of the hands and the shout of amen and the standing up in your seats. But I'm just going to tell you something. If there becomes a depth that can be created in your spirit and in your life, you can sit in stone-cold silence and the presence and the power of God be in your life and in your heart. I think sometimes when we look at that, we think that people like that, that they're dead and they're formal and they're et cetera, and some of them are. But there's been times, certainly in my case, where I have felt the majesty and the power of God in absolute, complete, and utter, total silence. I'd recommend that for some of you uh, here today. Um. And if you think I'm preaching hard, uh, you should have been with Brother Patterson and I here recently. We were at a place, and uh, I thought to myself, uh, anyways, it doesn't matter what I thought, but I thought, I don't want to be like that. I want to be able to somehow take the Word of God and open it up in a way where that people are hungry to get into the Scriptures instead of them being arm-twisted and forced into a relationship with God. Because I'll just put this in there. If that is the only reason that you are in a relationship with God, you will not last. You will backslide. And that wasn't in my notes, and probably I should have left that unsaid. However, I'm preaching. So, anyways, but let's look at this. Here's the thing that I realize, that there's times whenever we say we want to offer our gifts to the Lord, that those gifts feel so terribly inadequate. And that was probably Lauren's case. She had her little deal there, and then her brothers 
um, took advantage of that. There can be so much pressure at times when it comes to this matter of giving gifts that you look around at everybody else's gift and you think, oh, my, my gift is so, so poor in quality and so, so poor compared to what everybody else has given. Sometimes that happens in dysfunctional homes where parents are so heavy-handed in their rearing of children that the atmosphere is filled with sarcasm and is filled with belligerence and is filled with power. There's some of you here in this room here this morning that you remember how that used to be. I didn't grow up in a home like that. I'm trying to sometimes think, what was it like growing up in a home like that? I can imagine that even now as adults, that sometimes whenever you may have grown up in a home like that, that it crushes the life out of you even now. That could have happened with parents. It could have happened with siblings that they perhaps even echoed that, that your brothers or sisters, they could have, have tormented you and have de degenerated you in such a sense where that, that you thought, I, I don't have anything to offer. And then as you get older, you move into the presence of peers. And those peers, they can be in that same mode. They they do it so much better than I can. They have so many talents that are so much better than what mine are. But if you are blood-bought, and if you have been filled with the Spirit, can I remind you of what Paul said? He said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. And so the part that shines out of us is not so much the gift, but it is the value that is on the inside that whenever we begin to feel like that, that it's so inadequate and it doesn't matter. Hear me out today. That is nothing more than the slandering tongue of the enemy of your soul. And you have value as a child of God and as a saint that has been filled with the Holy Ghost. And so don't be embarrassed. Whatever your gift may be to offer it to the Lord. I have a feeling that Gideon probably felt like that. He was from the poorest tribe of Israel. You, you, some of you here, you, we, you think you know what poverty is about, but, but I have had conversations. My dad has talked to me. Brother Patterson has talked to me. Brother Sanders has talked to me about what it was like to, at times, have shoes that, that had holes in them or sometimes didn't even have shoes at all and clothes that, that 
that, that had been handed down through a variety of, of people. And by the time it got to them, they were almost worn out. And they would wear these clothes. And you think about what can I offer God coming from that kind of atmosphere. But the Bible tells us that Gideon was from the poorest tribe of Israel. But whenever God needed somebody to offer a gift, he went and he found Gideon. And hear me today, whoever you may be, that there is value that you have in your life. And can I also tell you this? That whenever you offer your gift to the Lord, here's what happens. That as you surrender that gift to Him, God begins to work with that just like He does with that little boy that brought his lunch. And before it's over with, you stand back and you're totally amazed at what God has done. It's because you offered your gift. Brother Patterson preached Thursday night. I, I, I sat there and listened to Brother Patterson preach. And, and uh, it was honoring Brother Boyd. And I've known Brother Boyd practically all of my life. And the challenges and the things that, that the Boyds went through to try to build and to establish a church. And, and as you heard about that history, you, you begin to, to know and to realize that there are things that God does when we're willing to sacrifice. And it pays off in the long run. And so Moses couldn't speak. Amos was a herdsman. Peter was a fisherman. Matthew was a tax collector. And then the kid... He just had a few loaves of bread and a few fish, and he gave it to the Lord. And the next thing you know, what's the Lord doing? He's breaking it up, and he's passing it out. The second thing I would tell you about gifts is this. There's always going to be some risk that's involved with giving that gift. And you start thinking about Saul's conversion in Acts chapter 9. Let's talk about Ananias for a moment. Ananias was was a man that the Bible doesn't tell us he was a great preacher, doesn't say that he was a great prayer warrior, doesn't say anything about that at all except the fact that he was available. And so the Lord said, uh, Ananias, I, I've got a, I got a guy down there and, and uh, he's on a street and, and go find him. And when you go find him, here's what you need to tell him. And I'm sure the hesitation that was in Ananias' heart began to realize, hey, Lord, there, there's a risk that's going to be involved with me going down and talking to this man that, that was a terrorist, but he was called by God to risk. And yet the fact is, is that whenever God calls us to offer our gifts sometimes, it comes with a matter of risk. How's it going to turn out? What if we don't have enough money? What, what, if I, I, what if I backslide? What if everything falls apart around me? What, what, what if, what if, what if? Those are the questions that sometimes comes into your mind and to your spirit whenever you begin to go in a sense of risk. 
And I look across a number of faces here today in this congregation. There have been various times over uh, your life that you took a risk on something. You didn't know how that it was going to turn out. You know now how it's turned out. But whenever you were called to give the gift at the time, you didn't know how it was going to turn out. And so it was a literally a leap of faith. And by the sovereignty and the providence of God, The third thing that I would tell you about this gift is somewhere your small gift has to be exposed to the big picture. What do you mean by the big picture? Well, let's take a look at Jesus there in Bethany. You remember that was his favorite place to go. He would go to the home of Martha and Mary and Lazarus and he would be there. And you remember that day where that Jesus came in and, and Martha's scurrying around. She's, she's cooking. She's fixing. She's cleaning. She's fixing. She's doing all this stuff. And Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus and she's listening to what the Lord has to say. What is the difference between those two women? Martha, busy, scurrying around, working frantic, preoccupied, Mary, quiet, the feet of Jesus, treasuring, understanding. What was the difference between those two women that day? The picture. One of them saw the big picture. My kids, used, my kids even now when I'm driving, see the big picture, Dad, see the big picture. Because that's what I used to tell them whenever they were driving. Say, see the big picture, kids. Look, look at what's taking place several hundred yards down in front of you. You see brake lights popping on. You, you see this, that, the other. And some of that goes to the fact, I'll tell you, this is terrifying. I mean, it's, I look at this, I see school buses driving around town at times, and I think, oh, my Lord. But when I was 16 years old, they give me the keys to a school bus. And I drove a school bus my junior and senior year in high school, 1982, 83, 84. I look at that now, and I think, oh, my Lord. You give a 16, 17-year-old kid the keys to a bus, but driving that bus caused me to think ahead. And one of the things that it used to do is down here, I'm thankful for what they did down at Dobbs Barbecue. But I had to drive a bus. You'd come up to Dobbs and you got to get across 231 the southbound, and then you had to get across the northbound. And I had to get a bus across that from Rehoboth going to Asheron. And I used to, I used to hate that intersection. And so what I started doing was to give me some room. I would come down <coughs> old Camelton, and I'd turn there. Y'all know that old store that's been there. It used to be a store. Some of you never even remember it because it's been there for so long. And I'd turn right there on Saunders Road, and, and I'd go to 231, and I'd, I'd have a safe crossing there. Why? Because there was a red light there. They, you anticipate. You see the big picture. And, and uh, there's times where that I get in the car now. My kids get nervous sometimes when I drive. Now, Dad, see the big picture. See the big picture.
parents are like, what are y'all talking about? The cars down, down in front see what they're doing. That was the difference between Mary and Martha. Mary saw what was taking place from the viewpoint of eternity. And so I'll tell you this. Pick up your toes. This may be a little hard. Not nearly as hard as what I heard the other night, but pick up your toes. You want me to tell you who will be here tomorrow night for the prayer meeting and who will be here Tuesday night for the prayer meeting and who will be here Wednesday night for the prayer meeting? Those that see the big picture. I I, I know. I know, I know getting up at 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock. I did something the other day. My, supervisors, my supervisor was about, had worn me out. Talking about Brother Paul Eisler. Y'all, y'all don't let him shake. Don't let him shake his head. And he, I'm telling him, man, he rode me and Brother Sanford, and we were working hard. And, and I got home, and I was weary. And I sat down there at the table and got cleaned up and thought, you know what? This is just par for the course for a lot of people. And so I opened my Bible up the kitchen table. And obviously, I don't have kids there. I just have my wife. She's the only one I have to really make sure everything's okay with. Him. But I sit there at the table and I work there with my Bibles. And I thought even though the tiredness of my body is there's things that I'm going to do. I bought a new Thompson chain Bible, and I'm writing all the notes in this one and swapping them over, and some people's like, oh, man, that's such a waste of time, is it? It's not a waste of time if you're living for eternity. So it's a waste of time if you're living for the small picture and if you're living for down here, but you have to expose your gift to the big picture. And so tomorrow night before you give yourself an excuse and Tuesday night before you give yourself an excuse and Wednesday night before you give yourself an excuse, ask yourself the question, what's this prayer meeting all about? It's about eternity. James chapter 4 and verse 14, your life is only a vapor. It appears for a moment. And then it vanishes. The last thing that I would point out about this gift is you can offer your gift, but development probably is not going to occur overnight. It's going to take the Lord a while to work And he will pull things out of your heart and your spirit. There's times when I get around Brother Patterson, I get around my dad, and I get around Brother Sanders. And I start asking myself the question, man, why am I not reacting like they are? It's because Brother Patterson's got a 30-year head start on me. And my dad's got a 25-year head start on me. And Brother Sanders is somewhere in that 24, 25-year range. And the reason they react the way they do versus the way I do is the time factor. 
their gift has developed more than what mine has. But I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to throw in the towel. I'm going to keep marching. I'm going to keep giving my gift to the Lord. I'm going to keep doing my best. I'm going to keep desiring revival and spiritual things. Why is that? It's because I want to offer my gift to the Lord. I'd like for us to stand this morning. And I'm going to conclude this message with this scripture. Matthew chapter 25 and verse number 19. Here's what Jesus said at one of the end of his parables. He said, after a long time, the Lord of those servants, he cometh and he reckoneth with them. And so this morning, just ask you this question as we approach the Christmas season. What are you doing with your gift? And how are you offering your gift to the Lord? Let's ask the Lord to touch our hearts. Lord, I'm thankful for your goodness. I'm thankful, Lord, for your spirit. I ask you, Lord, this morning, that God, that you speak to every one of us here. There's gifts, Lord, that, that we have. There's things, Lord, in our hearts and our spirits that sometimes, God, we have held back. But at the same time, Lord, I know that there have been gifts that, Lord, have been offered to you. Lord, in, in some of those gifts, there is a development by your grace and by your mercy that you've worked and you've ministered and you've helped, Lord, in our lives. And now I ask you, Lord, today, help us to be faithful as we give, Lord, ourselves to your kingdom. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 These altars are open if you would like to come and talk to the Lord here this morning. And just ask Him, Lord, what do my gifts look like? Have my gifts been developed? Are there still things that I'm holding back from You? Are there areas that you want me to go into Lord that I am even afraid to step out but I give you everything about my heart and my spirit help us Lord to do your will